Thank you very much. Let's pray. We're going to turn to the Bible. Today we're looking at a, a parable that Jesus told, and next week we're going to be looking at the following on parable that links with some of the things you've been seeing in the service so far. Father, we thank you that you're with us. God, I pray that you'd speak to us just now as we take a moment to reflect on a great parable that you told, Lord Jesus. Thank you for everyone that's here, whether they're first time here visiting with us, or whether this is their umpteenth time. I pray, God, that something in what I share today would connect with them by the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, there was a, a young 12-year-old lad, and he was walking along the street, and as he was passing by this kind of uh, grassy embankment, out jumps a frog onto the side of the pavement beside him, and he kind of thought, oh, cool. So he picks up this frog, and the frog says to him, if you kiss me, I'll become a beautiful princess, and I'll be yours forever. The kid thinks, cool. And he shoves the frog in his pocket, and he keeps walking down the street. A little bit further on, the frog pops his head out of his pocket and says, I said, if you kiss me, I'll become a beautiful princess. I'll cook all your meals, and I'll be yours forever. The little kid takes the frog out and says, you're cool, shoves him back in the pocket. A little bit further on, uh, the frog said, did you not hear me? I said, kiss me, and I'll become a beautiful princess. I'll be yours forever. And the little kid, t- kid took the frog out of his pocket and said, listen, look at me, I'm a 12-year-old kid. I don't want a beautiful princess, but I want a talking frog. <laughs> cool. Shoves him back in the pocket. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where out of the blue you find something you think, that's cool. Like, kind of just, you didn't expect it. Well, that's what's going on in this parable that Jesus is telling us. We're in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And Jesus said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field's which a man founds and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus often spoke in parables. The word parable in the Greek language is parabolos, which means to place one thing alongside another thing. So what Jesus did was he placed familiar stories that would happen in everyday life alongside incredible truths. He would communicate the eternal by telling stories that people could understand. In the audience that Jesus was speaking to, what Jesus was talking about, hidden treasure, actually wasn't that unfamiliar. Maybe some of them had even discovered hidden treasure. Because in Palestine in the first century, when Jesus walked the earth, it was a war-torn area. It was probably the most fought-over territory in the world. People's back gardens could quite easily become battlefields. In a day and age when people didn't have banks, or certainly the common people didn't have banking, they had to do something with their wealth. So if they were fleeing from an army that was invading, they wouldn't carry their wealth with them in case they were mugged or robbed, as was frequently the case. So what they would commonly do is they would dig deep in their garden and bury their treasure in the garden. It was often the case that treasure was left buried. People, whether they died or got lost or whatever, didn't ever recover the treasure. So there was a lot of undiscovered treasure in the ground. There was one story, that a book that Thompson published, uh, entitled The Land and the Book, talking about the Bible. And in that, he talked about an incident that took place in the 18th century in Sidon. And in Sidon, the 
there was some gardeners digging up back garden. And one particular day, they came across three large copper jars, and in the copper jars were gold coins. Archaeologists were overwhelmed with this discovery, and they, they reckon it was Alexander the Great's money. And when Alexander the Great and his father Philip, and when Alexander, as you know, died in his relatively young age, when his death was announced, and in Sidon, when they heard the news of his death, and chaos was breaking out, they reckon that one of the government officials took the royal wealth and buried it in the ground to keep it safe, to preserve it. And 1,800 years later, it was eventually discovered. So Jesus is describing something that people might have been quite familiar with, actually. It was something familiar describing something eternal. Hidden treasure. And he said a man happened to stumble across it. He doesn't go into much detail about this man, other than it wasn't his land, and he was digging in it. We kind of guess that might mean he was probably a hired hand. He was working in someone else's land. And his net worth was the cost of that field. He probably wasn't a wealthy man. But he found something in that field that he figured was worth him selling everything he had in order to get the field. Now the question I've got is, if Jesus is communicating us to something about God, why would he call it hidden treasure? Why hidden? You know, many people would say, if God's out there, why doesn't he just show himself to us? Then everyone will believe in him. If God's out there, why doesn't he just kind of reveal himself to us so we say, ah, there's God. But it doesn't seem to be that way, right? In fact, with all the important things in life, it's not that way. Take love, for example. Love's not handed to you on a plate. It's hidden. Well, when I fell in love with my wife, Angie, it wasn't that one day I thought, you know what, I think it's about time I have a relationship, and then, bing, she appears. It didn't happen that way. I pursued her. I fancied her. I started dating her. I got to know her. We, we, we courted. We got to know each other. We fell in love. It came through a process. It came as a discovery. I had to dig it out. And then I got my treasure. Success doesn't come handed in the plate. For many people, it does. For those who win the lottery, they get this, all this money. And there are numerous stories of people who get this huge windfall and then they lose it all and it ruins their lives. I know you're sitting there thinking, give me a shot. I reckon it wouldn't ruin mine. I know you're saying that. But statistically, it does ruin a number of people's lives. Sudden wealth. But we understand that actually treasure, wealth, success in life, you, you, know, you work hard, you graft, you find your talent, you give yourself to your trade, you work well with people, and you become successful. And therefore you treasure it because it didn't come easy. Gold, diamonds, why are they so expensive? Because they're rare. Because they're hidden. Because you've actually got to go find them. And the rare, if they were just lying around the streets of Leith, you wouldn't be at church today. If they were just lying around the streets of Leith, they wouldn't be worth much because that would be common. It's not common. It's rare. It's expensive. So we understand, actually, the really important stuff in life, like your purpose. You didn't just get handed to you in a plate. You were born and his, his, his instructions, you know. All right, instructions about your life. This is your purpose. Just do this. You know, it's not like that. What's your purpose like? You've got to find it. You've got to discover it. You've got to look at how God's wired you. You've got to work it through. You've got to process it. And when you find it, you value it. 
So God doesn't just hand himself to the human race in a play. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Why would God do that way? Why would God do it this way? Because he wants us to understand deeply. It says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 15, Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God and Savior. Notice two things about God in this verse. God hides himself, and God is Savior. You think, well, is that not a contradiction? Surely if God wants to save people, surely he would disclose himself to people. Surely he would go and kind of push himself over on people. But apparently, God hiding himself and God being Savior isn't a contradiction. But actually, God in his wisdom understands that this is how people will really get it. There's a book in the book of Proverbs that says, Proverbs 25, verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. God, in his wisdom, conceals himself. And us, if we're wise, go hunt that treasure. You see, the things that have really impacted my life were not the things that people just told me. They're the things I discovered. Educationalists understand this. You can communicate information to people, and they might get it to a level. You help people discover it themselves. Then you change lives. The things that have changed my life are the things that have been revealed to me. So God in his wisdom plays, as it were, hide and seek with us, although it isn't a game. And he wants to reveal himself to others. His desire in doing this is not so that he remains hidden. His desire in doing this is that people will find him. And when they find him, they treasure him above all. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden. And then a man, as if by accident, stumbles across it. You know, accident. But I don't think it was an accident. You see, accident, but not in the sense of not without purpose. Some of you met God, and it seemed accidental. You hadn't gone looking for him. You weren't on the hunt for God. You just, oh, it's God. You weren't even praying or asking any questions, but somehow God got hold of your life. And it might have seemed as if it's by accident, a sequence of coincidences. That person just happened to be there at that moment. I have to tell you, it's not an accident. I believe there's a God in heaven who made the planets and the universe, who knows every one of the six billion people on this planet with such detail and with such love. He knows the number of hairs in your head and he ordains things in your life. And maybe some of you here today, you're here, I have to tell you, not by accident. I believe God is orchestrating things in your life in order that you will find him and reach to him and experience him for yourself. So it seems like it's an accident. It seems like a guy comes along and has this accidental find. What does he do when he finds this treasure? You know, if you were watching this scenario, imagine this was how it went. Imagine the guy finds this treasure and he thinks, wow. Or maybe he doesn't, maybe he just picks it up and thinks, Tah. opens it, sees what's inside it, but closes it, just throws it in the muck and walks away. You'd be looking on thinking, you're nuts, you're crazy. That's, that's just an amazing treasure. You just kind of, kind of kicked dirt over and walked off. That would be crazy. And yet, when it comes to God's, People do this all the time. They see God. And then they, 
like he's not the greatest treasure ever. Um, There's a very well-written article by an excellent journalist called Matthew Paris. He writes this article entitled, Why, as an atheist, I believe Africa needs God. And he writes this, Before Christmas, I returned after 45 years to the country that, as a boy, I knew as Nazaland. Today, it's Malawi. The Times, that's who he works for, Christmas Appeal includes a small British charity working there. Pump Appeal includes, um, it, it helps, Pump Aid helps rural communities install simple pumps, letting people go uh, to their village well, and it was clean water at supplies. I went to see this work and it inspired me. It renewed my flagging faith in development charities. But traveling to, traveling to Malawi refreshed another belief too. One that I have been trying to banquish, banish sorry, all my life. But an observation I have been unable to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview, and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. Now a confirmed atheist, I have, however, become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. If Africa, in Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts, it makes a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real and the change is good. Matthew Paris continues an atheist and yet he saw treasure. Looking into Africa, he goes on in the article and says, without Christianity, Africa would implode. He sees the impact God is actually having in very real and tangible ways in people's lives. And he stands amazed. And yet, seeing this treasure, puts it down like a large percentage of the human race. It says in Romans um, chapter 1, verse 21, Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks. It's an amazing verse. Although they knew God. It's talking about human beings, and it's saying that human beings have a knowing about God. Deep down, in the recesses of their psyche, in their heart, in their knower, they know there's a God. Many have convinced themselves in their heads that intellectually I can't believe in a God. And yet, in their knower, the Bible says, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. You see, I have to tell you, I don't believe in atheists. I don't believe in atheists. I, I understand that they are very sincere and they probably really believe that they're atheists. I don't believe in atheists. I, I understand that they may be very sincere that their intellect denies the existence of God, but I believe in their knower, right down here, although they know God, they do not glorify Him as God or give thanks to Him. You see, seeing this treasure and just putting it down like it's common is the craziest thing that human beings always do. In 1881, Thelma Howard died. Thelma Howard, for 20 years, had worked as the housemaid for Lillian and Walt Disney. She'd served them faithfully. And every year, just before Christmas, Walt Disney would invite Thelma into his office 
and as a thank you to her, he would give her a Christmas gift. Now, she would have been quite happy with a, a bonus tip, you know, $100. But instead, he would give her every year um, a piece of paper which represented a share in his growing company. Share options. It meant nothing to her. She would smile politely and say, thank you. And she would put it in her bottom drawer. And so they built up over the years in her bottom drawer. Tragedy was when she died in, in the 1980s, she died as a very poor woman. She had lived her latter years in absolute poverty with very few possessions. When they went through her belongings after her death, having you know, virtually no wealth to her name, they discovered in this bottom drawer all these um, stock options in Walt Disney's company. At that time, in 1981, they were valued at a total of six million pounds. To see God and not make him the treasure of your life. It would be like someone finding a treasure and saying, <laughs> and just walking away like it's nothing. Or to see God and not make him the treasure of your life. It would be like living like a housemaid and living in absolute poverty when you've got six million in the drawer. That's how ludicrous, in fact, it's even more ludicrous than that. To see God and not make him your absolute treasure in life doesn't make sense. C.S. Lewis said this in, in, his, in his famous sermon, The Weight of Glory. He said, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, when what is on offer is infinite joy. Why is it someone would reject God as their treasure? What would it be? And, and I know there are many various reasons people give but let me, let me come to what I believe is the crux of the matter. Why would someone not have God as their absolute treasure? Here's what I really believe. I really believe it's because they want to hold on to every other treasure they have. I believe it's because they, they hold on and treasure everything else above the value they place on God. And that would include religious people. I remember in my life, B.C., before Christ came into my life, I remember believing there was a God there. I remember actually having a sense of awe about that God. But I also remember a deep reluctance in me to offer him my life. I knew that to follow God, it would take everything. And I wasn't willing to give him anything. Because I, I wanted to hold on to what I thought life was. It's like this. I was holding on a tight fist to my little life, which seemed so precious to me. And yet God had this great life to give me, my, but my hands were full. God had a blessed life for me, but my hands were full. I thought, can't have God in my life because that means I can't do those things which I know he wouldn't want me to do, but I think they're going to be fun. I can't have God in my life because I can't pursue that agenda and do those things in life because I've treasured my life above my treasuring of God. That was until God came into my life. In India, they have a particular technique of catching monkeys. Here's a picture of a monkey being caught. They have a little jar, or sometimes they use a coconut and they create a hole in the coconut and empty it out. And what they do in this jar or in this empty coconut is they put nuts at the bottom of the coconut or the jar. And the monkey comes along, sees the nuts, squeezes its little hand in, grabs the nuts with a clenched fist and tries to withdraw his hand, only discovering that with the clenched fist, he can't get his fist out of the jar. So it sits there. It, can't run, it can hardly run around because this jar, can't run up trees, can't escape. So the hunters come along, catch the monkey. You'd think, it'd think I'm going to get caught here. 
the nuts aren't worth that much. Just let go of the nuts. He doesn't think that. No, I'm going to hold on to the nuts. Right? And he gets caught. It's the craziest thing. Actually, it does start to raise in me the potential that humans actually maybe did develop from monkeys. Because the same logic we apply to lesser treasures in life. We hold on to, oh, I like that. No, I don't want to let go of this. And yet God has got great life for us. God has got eternal life for us. God has got a relationship with him. What could be better than knowing the God who made you? And yet we hold on to this life. Oh, my little life is so important to me, so precious. Can't let go of that. It's the most ludicrous, crazy thing. But it wasn't what the man in this parable did. Jesus put it this way. Matthew 16, 25. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. That monkey, in his endeavor to hold on to what it considered important, loses its life. Jesus said, if you pursue self and your own treasures, absent from him, you're going to lose it all. And he's saying that not because he wants you to, he's saying that because he wants you to get real life. Lose your life for him. Now that, that doesn't mean martyrdom, but for those disciples actually Jesus was speaking to in Matthew 16, it did mean martyrdom. Some of them in their pursuit of God ended up losing their lives because of the Romans. But they were so satisfied in him. Let's go back to the verses. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Worth everything. Worth everything. Imagine you came to buy a particular product and had a price tag on the product. And you opened, you kind of lifted up and you read the price tag and the price tag said on it, worth everything you own. Imagine it said that on it. And then it goes on to spell out what it means. It spells out, it worth everything you own. Your house, your car, you even have to sell your kids, you know, your, your jewelry, all your belongings, worth everything you own to get this thing. <laughs> wow, what would be worth that? Think for a moment. What would be worth that? What out of everything would have that kind of price tag on it? The fact is, many people spend that kind of price tag on lesser treasures. I've seen crazy people leaving their lifetime spouse to pursue another woman, and they lose everything. They lose their house, their kids. They lose their reputation. They lose everything. They, they pay the highest price for a lesser treasure. I've seen guys in pursuit of um, the quick wealth, and they end up at the casino. And literally everything, including the pillow under their heads, taken away from them, they pay the highest price for some crazy lesser treasure. People do this all the time. So it's not a, an unreasonable request. Because human beings do this kind of stuff even in wholesome ways in the pursuit of lesser things like education or sport. They pursue this and they pay that price tag. And yet, there is actually only one thing that is worth that price tag. And that price tag, everything, is only worthy of God. Only that treasure, God himself, is worth everything. It says in the verse that when the man found this treasure... He covered it up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. In his joy. This is not a morbid moment for the guy saying, oh, well, I have to give everything up. It's not like that. It's, yay, I 
He's not focusing on the costs. He's not thinking about how much is this costing him. He is so completely absorbed with, I get that treasure. He's so absorbed with, wow, that's going to become mine. The costs isn't even worth counting. Now, people looking on at this might think he's talking about big sacrifice. But I don't even think the word sacrifice is what we could describe this with. You see, sacrifice focuses in on what you're losing. Whereas here, I think the emphasis is on surrender. Something in order to gain something greater. It's not so much about a guy losing out here. This is a guy gaining everything. And having gained everything, he thinks, I got a good deal. I don't believe anyone is impoverished by becoming a Christian. David Livingston, famous Scottish missionary, um, he lived a challenging life in Africa. And he spent his life, because of God, being a blessing to as many people there as he possibly could. And it was not the easy option. When one day he was back in the UK, he'd spent many years in Africa, he was back in the UK, and he was down in Cambridge, and he gave a lecture to a group of students. And I'm going to read you in a moment an excerpt from that lecture. And then after that lecture, he was heading back to Africa. And this is what he said in that lecture. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed and healthy activity, reward and in healthy activity, and consciousness of doing goods and peace of minds and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word from my view. We're away with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger. Now and then, with the foregoing of common conveniences and the charities of this life, make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let that only be for a moment. All these are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Here's a man having lived the life he had lived, having paid the price and made the sacrifices that he had made. He says, I never made a sacrifice. Why is that? It's because he wasn't focused with what he had lost and what his life at the challenges, he was focusing on God, his treasure. And that was the biggest motivator in his life. God being a treasure is what you were born for. You see, don't misunderstand this parable. Jesus isn't saying that you have to buy salvation. You want God? Well, you've got to buy him. That's not what he's saying. Because salvation is free. Getting God in your life, getting God's acceptance, God's forgiveness and eternal life That's a free gift to you. Now, it wasn't free. It had to be paid for. But you don't have to pay for it. It comes to you for free. It was paid for by Jesus Christ. When Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross, dying in our place, taking your sin and your shame and brokenness upon himself, 
When he took the punishment that we deserve for our sins, even though he had done nothing wrong, he died as one man on behalf of the whole human race. He paid the high price so you could be saved. You don't need to buy salvation. See, this parable isn't speaking about someone who's surrendering everything in order to make God willing to give them salvation. It's not about that. Let me try and explain to you what it's saying. The verses we read said this. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. What did he say is like a treasure? He said, the kingdom of heaven. What's that talking about? The kingdom. Well, the kingdom is wherever the king has his rule. Wherever the king rules is his kingdom. Now, you can't buy God's rule in your life. But you can surrender and come under his rule in your life. You see, it's not about you trying to buy salvation. He did that for you. It's you coming into the place where you become a recipient of it. And in order to do that, you need to let go of that little nut. You need to surrender and come under this great king who then becomes your God, your savior, your treasure. Now here's the funny twist at the end. This parable is predominantly about human beings on a quest for God. But there's a flip side as well, and this is potentially even a greater reality, that God, the creator of everything, saw us as a treasure. And that God, in seeing us, figured that we were worth everything to have. And when Jesus died on that cross, that was God making a conscious decision to pay the ultimate price for you. Because he loves you. Because he does treasure you. And you might think, well, that's an impersonal act. He died 2,000 years ago. He didn't know me. Not so. I believe that wasn't just a man. I believe that was God in the flesh. And as such, I believe you were on his mind. Of the six billion people on this earth, he knows you. And you were on his mind. And when he died on that cross, he was personally paying the price for you as well as every other human being who's ever lived. This is the amazing twist. that Actually, God saw you as a treasure. And in his joy, he sold everything for you. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, describing Jesus, it says, For the joy he set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the joy set before him. I don't think he was just thinking about get through the cross and get to heaven. I don't think he was thinking that. I think the joy set before him was much more than just the delights of heaven. I think the joy set before him was you. I think he saw you and he saw what his death would accomplish in your life and he said, I'll do it. I don't think his focus in those hours in Gethsemane as he was sweating blood and anticipating the crucifixion, as he was going through those three illegal trials with, with the Pontius Pilate and Herod and the horrendous Pharisees. I don't think his, the main thing in his mind when he was being whipped was himself. And as he was hanging and dying on the cross, I don't think he was thinking about the price he was paying. I think the main thing on his mind was, Father, forgive them. It was you and I. It was the human race. It was, though, it was the joy of seeing multitudes coming to a living, authentic relationship with their Creator. That's what satisfies him. That's what gives him delight and joy. And for him, it was all worth it for you. So let's respond to God.
Let's pray. Okay, just take a moment to pause. How important is God to you? Father, we thank you. You are God. We thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for every person in this room. God, you are to be treasured above every other treasure. You are more important than anyone or anything. And if anything was to cause us to give everything up, what greater cause could there to be to give our lives to than you? And I pray, God, today we'd have the wisdom to see that perspective. God, we're like little monkeys holding on to those things that seem so precious and important to us, and yet, eternally speaking, they're silly, they're trivial. And yet, God, you have a great life for us, which if only we were to come and allow you to be our king, this life would become ours. God, I pray, give people the courage and the wisdom today to make you their treasure. God, for those who have, in the past, valued you greatly, yet recently have started pursuing so many other things that their hands are full, that God, you've, you've kind of slipped way down in their order of priorities. No longer are you their treasure. They still talk about you every so often. They still pray to you occasionally. But you're no longer the heartbeat in their hearts. You're no longer the passion in their veins. You're no longer the thing that stirs them to get up in the morning. I pray, God, they would look again at the treasure. Because they've obviously taken their eye off this. Because you're amazing. I pray that they would have a fresh view of you, God. And they'd be captivated by you. And they'd be captivated by your purpose for them. And that nothing would get in the way of them pursuing that. God, I pray for those who have never made you their treasure. I pray right now, God, you'd give them the courage to do what that man did and have an unconditional surrender and willingness to give everything to have God in their lives. Okay, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to respond just now. If you're here and you're saying, Peter, I want God to be my treasure. I don't want to live ignoring God. I want Him to be number one in my life. And I'm willing, completely willing, to be totally His for the rest of my life. That's a big commitment. It's a brave commitment. But God is so worth that commitment. You will look back and you won't count the cost. You'll say, I got a good deal. I pray God, give them the courage to make that decision. So if you're here today and you're saying, Peter, I want God in my life. I want to give you an opportunity right now to pray and make your response to him and make that commitment I've described. Repeat this prayer after me, just quietly under your breath and let this be your commitment to him. Dear God, thank you so much for your love for me. I realize that I haven't treasured you as I should have. And today, God, I make a commitment to you 
I ask that you would be number one in my life. Nothing else matters in comparison to you. I commit myself to being yours for the rest of my life. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross and for rising again so that I could be forgiven and I could know God. I accept you today. I believe in you wholeheartedly. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my King. Thank you for hearing my life prayer and for accepting me today. Okay, just keep your eyes closed. If anyone prayed that prayer, if anyone is here and they're in their hearts, they're praying that prayer and they're saying, God, be the treasure of my life. Be number one from here on. If you've made that decision today, then I would love to pray for you. I believe it's the best decision you could ever make. If that's you, in order to know who I'm praying for, can I ask you to do a simple thing? Just while everyone's praying, can you just identify yourself to me by just raising your hand nice and clear? And then I'll know you prayed that prayer. So anyone like that today, just quickly put your hand up. Say, I prayed that prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I'll just wait for a moment. Anyone else? In the cafe or in the balcony, wherever you are, if you prayed that prayer, say, Peter, I made that commitment. I want him to be my treasure for the rest of my life then just quickly raise your hand and I'll include you in this prayer. Father, thank you so much for these two precious individuals and for anyone else here today, God, who maybe prayed that prayer but didn't put their hand up. I pray, God, today this would be a, a new life moment for them, God. I pray that they would, they would find you as their treasure. I pray that this commitment wouldn't just be a, a spur-of-the-moment feeling just now, God, but this would be really the beginning of a whole new episode in their life where from here on they're gods and I pray that they would live for you now in Jesus name okay we're going to continue on a few things just now but let me say if you prayed that prayer whether you put your hand up or not if you made that commitment today God heard your prayer God accepts you there will be a team of people here at the front at the end of the service and there will be an opportunity if you want to be prayed for for whatever reason you might be sick here and need healing or maybe you prayed that prayer and again whether you put your hand up or not please come forward we would like one of the leaders to pray with you again we've got a little booklet we'd like to give you and encourage you in this journey you're starting out on hi i hope that today's message has helped you if you want to find out more about us as a church download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution to our ongoing work and mission here in Edinburgh, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work that he is doing in your life.